0: once we have a way to contain it, or we have some sort of vaccine against it. You know, until that, whether it's six months away or 16 months away, we're gonna see and continue to experience the impact of COVID-19.
1: Welcome to episode three. Our title is Ask the Expert: the financial fear of COVID-19. Our guest today is Jonathan Clay, MBA, and is president of and ceo of paxton hydra phi Uh, phi is a professional service firm with offices located in california and new york it specializes in the united states government consulting risk management disaster recovery and business continuity services jonathan has over 22 years of experience in information technology and has held senior management positions with PricewaterhouseCoopers and J.P. Morgan Chase. In addition to this service, he has worked on a numerous classified United States Department of Defense and United States Air Force projects. He currently has the following certification, Certified Information Systems Auditor, Certified Information Systems Security Professional. Project Management Institute, Certified Project Manager, Certified Information Security Manager, and Certified Risk and Information System Control. Jonathan, it is a pleasure to have you on our podcast today. I am curious, can you share a little bit about how and why you started PHI and left Corporate America?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And good afternoon, Marnie and Martha. Thanks for having me today. So the the interesting side to getting involved with working on and working with the government on various projects was it started, believe it or not, as a spammed email. When I was with Pricewaterhouse, and actually I started with a company called Cooper's and Libran, this was in the late 90s. At the time, it was one of the top eight professional service firms in the world. And about 16 months after I started, they merged with PricewaterhouseCoopers. And as we got closer, you know, not to date myself to Y2K in the 2000s, you know, there was a lot going on in the economy. It was booming. So a lot of people were, ended up transferring to different projects within, you know, ended up leaving the firm for other opportunities. And I found myself in a management role at 23 years old. And as I was networking and traveling, I got an email one day that stated to, you know, welcome and doing business with the government. And the funny part about it was it was sent to the wrong Jonathan. So I followed up with a contact that said it and it was like an introduction you know, to government 101, introduction to lobbying and going after federal contracts and awards. So as my career grew, so did my network. And we started looking at an opportunity to take on our first client and you know, really kind of get wet in the government award, um, you know, looking at anything from solicitation writing to proposal writing. Uh, we picked up our first client and kind of grew from there.
2: Wow. I hope I get one of those emails one day, spam emails.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, it was it was a truly a life-changing email that that grew us to where we're at. You know, looking back you know, after two decades of growing and, you know, and and into my PWC career and transitioning into program management and working on one of my first classified projects with the Marines at 29 Palms, we just kept growing and and growing from there. I mean, right now we have 847 clients. We've been in business for 14 years. We're the only professional consulting firm that has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and you know, if you think about you know lobbying and government and, and all the controversy today, it gives you an idea. Every single review, I think we've got our 45th five out of five star review. So I mean, we're we're in every publication that's out there, um, and just our, our background and our network ranges all the way from you know a small one pay, one person litigator in Tampa, Florida, to some of the biggest brands that are noted on our website to celebrity clients. I mean, we have a pretty substantial uh, following as, as well as client base.
2: That's awesome. So you definitely seem like the right person to be talking to today about economics and finances. Um, definitely qualified. Definitely. I'm, I'm interested to hear your advice and um, hopefully everyone else will benefit from it as well. Um, so how do you, you know, we're in the middle of COVID-19. We're in the middle of social distancing and we sort of phasing back into at least in Pennsylvania. I don't know where you located again, I'm sorry. Um, I physically live in Carlsbad, California.
0: So it's it Carlsbad is the beach suburb to San Diego. It's about thirty-three miles from downtown San Diego.
2: All right. So, you know, how how do you see the economic recovery of our country as a result of COVID nineteen?
0: Well, I think that the economic recovery has to start you know what what we're seeing right now is an impact of covid-19 you know we've seen over 20 plus million people you know and, and then and the numbers you know depending on the news source and your reference go anywhere from you know 20 million to currently 33 million people unemployed you know that's during the process we're still in the process right you you've got the economy is closing you've got the economy is opening um, you know, there, there is a, a concept here, or a scare of, um, you know, closing again, if, if, it, if it actually truly spikes. We haven't really started the recovery process. And the recovery process is going to start, in my opinion, once we have a way to contain it or we have some sort of vaccine against it. You know, until that, whether it's six months away or 16 months away, we're going to see and, and continue to experience the impact of COVID-19 you know I was talking to one of my clients and my clients actually located in Atlanta Georgia and this was a couple of weeks ago and they brought up a really good point you know one of their friends owns their favorite restaurant spot right so prior to the virus he was employing you know 45 people and his restaurant was flourishing he fought to reopen his restaurant after being closed for almost two months so two months and no sales Two months of no income and, and two months of watching his small business fail to fighting to open it. And when the state opened, he opened his restaurant. And now his restaurant's opened. He had a reduction in staff. So he brought on 14 people back. He had to incur expenses to open up his restaurant, you know, to stock it and get it ready. But now no one's going to it. They're still doing pickup. You know, it, it's not, it's a very reduced population. You know, he doesn't have the amount of people or the amount of traffic or footprint that he had. So he's still in the process. He hasn't re- recovered. I, I think that, you know, a true recovery is going to be, you know, once we come up with some sort of vaccine to get people back out and to make them feel comfortable again. and You know, increase consumer spending and confidence. Absolutely.
1: I know. I have a couple of friends that um, opened up a cafe. They launched in the beginning of March and not even two weeks later. Are,
2: they had to
1: shut down. And they didn't have the capabilities to open a pickup window, um, and they're absolutely
0: devastated. Yeah. Well, keep in mind, and you see it all over the internet. You know, you see it on MSN, you see it in the New York Times, and there's articles they're starting to publish. I mean, look at companies like Soup Plantation. You know, it's it's a franchise chain, and it's kind of it's kind of like a buffet of all you can eat soup and salad. They closed, permanently closed, done. You know, they announced, you know, what is it, Shake Shack? Um, you know, I think they're closing something like 25% of their locations permanently closed, not opening. So where, where are those people going to go, you know, that were employed there? You know, it, it creates a, a pretty big deficit, to say the least.
1: Oh, I totally agree. It'll be very interesting to see how people recover, especially the small uh, small businesses. Um, I've talked to a few Etsy contributors, um, and they're one or two people making their crafts. And um, they said if if they would shut down anything like UPS or FedEx, that would completely trash uh, whatever they've built up. Uh, they're very worried. Um,
0: yeah. Well, my my concern, and think about it like this. So right now we have, you know, 30 plus million people out of work, but as we get closer to the fall and what they're already starting to talk about is fortune 500 layoffs, you know, Delta airlines, Disney with more corporate layoffs, you know, American airlines, you know, there are, there are going to be fortune 500 layoffs coming from this. So if if we don't stabilize somehow, I mean, you're, you're going to see obviously the amount of unemployed people just every single week climbing and climbing, you know, the the things that have to be done to start a recovery is you've got to get rid of the fear or people have to accept it. Right. Like if I'm going to go out to, to dinner, if I'm going to go out to a retail, I have to either feel comfortable enough to know that there's a cure if I get this thing, there's some sort of vaccine. Or I'm going to wear a mask and protect myself against it. Or I'm just going to accept it, right? Maybe I choose not to wear a mask. Maybe I'm just going to go out and just get out of the house. You know, people are, you know, are going crazy staying at home to just be able to get out and do stuff. Um, and then there it comes with consumer confidence and there it comes with a stable environment and economy. You know, people's finances are fluctuating, you know, drastically. People don't have any money to feed their family. So, you know, until that stabilizes, we really haven't started the recovery process.
1: Yeah, I do agree with you. It's going to be a little bit farther off than a lot of people anticipate for this recovery. How much does, uh, of a role does the stock market play in our economy as far as um, the everyday citizens and the effect of the COVID-19?
0: Well, the, the stock market, remember, the stock market isn't the economy the stock market is based on investments. No, absolutely, if the stock market tanks, you know, if the markets plunge, it will it will definitely impact the everyday citizen because it, it's valuating the shares of the companies that they work for. It's valu valuating, you know, the commodities market. But I, I consider the stock market a, a little bit different because that's based on supply and demand. Whereas the everyday citizen, you know, their jobs immediately are getting impacted. You know individuals that got laid off out of the thirty three million people that are unemployed, you know they're not focusing on making investments into the market they're focusing on ways to pay their rent, you know support their children, put food on the table so from from an investment standpoint, they're completely separate
1: okay, so it's not necessarily a leading indicator of what's going on. It's more of a secondary issue at this time until it
0: crashes if it crashes well. Well, I mean, keep in mind, let's look at 08 and 09, for example. So right now, the federal government's printing money. We've all heard that, right? What what exactly does that mean? Is it, it means that the Federal Reserve and the Treasury are working together to infuse money into the economy, you know, to boost up the markets. And that when they're printing money, it's referred to as quantitative easing. You know, you look at 08 and 09, you know, 2008, 2009, federal government printed 4 trillion dollars quantitative easing you know was was roughly around 4 trillion dollars we really haven't been into the covid you know the, the, this pandemic for a, for not much more than 2 months you know you started hearing about it more in february you know people were flocking to the supermarkets around march 5th but but the 21st of march is is really when stuff started getting impacted And when you started seeing the markets fluctuate and the markets closing, you know, after they open shortly after they opened, you know, looking at that time, you know, even if you want to call it two and a half months, we've printed a little bit north of of three trillion dollars. So 08, 09, you know, 24 months, four trillion, two and a half months just a little bit north of $3 trillion, and they're talking about a third and fourth bailout. And, and that's, you know, third and fourth bailout, you know, we're still talking small business. We're not talking Fortune 500 companies. I mean, the month of March, Delta was bleeding $100 million a day. Disney was bleeding, and I believe continues to bleed, $30 million a day. That's not a month, that's not a week, that, that's per day. You know, you, you look at Lufthansa Air, Airlines. There, they're bleeding a million dollars an hour. I mean, that's that's substantial amounts of money. So, with quantitative easing and, and things to come, you know, quantitative easing, this QA is is propping up the market. Um, the concern here is, you know, potentially heading into a world of inflation. And, and again, that depends on how long this continues. You know, whether or not there's going to be a vaccine out soon. Um, whether that's six months, a year down the road, um, it depends on what happens when the economy opens. If you see, you know, some sort of spike in cases, you know, you look at Georgia, depending on what news source you listen to or follow, you know, it's one says it's spiking down there. The other one says it's contained then it's not. Um, but when the bigger economies open, the Los Angeles, the Dallas, Texas, the New York's, um, you know, potentially a larger spike could cause, you know, could could cause another shutdown. You know, Cuomo, Governor Cuomo out of New York did a presentation, I think it was on Friday, and he stated at that time, the level of cases, I think this was last Friday or Thursday, at that time, the level of cases, you know, ended up decreasing, and it was right at the level where New York City decided to close, where the state decided to close. They're opening up this Friday, so a potential spike could cause them to close again.
1: Yeah, so that spike should probably come in a, in about three, two, three weeks if if it's going to happen. It'll be very interesting to see how uh, New York opens. Um, and I know here in Pennsylvania, uh, we a lot of our counties are going from red, which is the current, you know, shut down, stay home, shelter in place. Um, To a yellow where some services are beginning to open, um, but things like the salons um, are still remaining closed until the imminent danger um, is not as strong.
2: Right. Erie is in yellow phase. Um, And it does seem like things are getting busier, like daycares are opening. But, you know, the salons and other services are, are still closed down. Hey, Jonathan, you said something. Can I clarify it really quickly? Because I feel like I heard it wrong, but I'm not sure. So you said the last time we were printing money at this scale was was when?
0: 2008 and 2009. Okay. And
2: it, you said over a span of 24 months, we printed roughly three or four million or billion or trillion?
0: Uh, that was trillion. So the, st- the statistic that this is, st- you know, the stats that I had from 08 and 09 was quantitative easing during that duration of 24 months because of the housing crisis and all the Fortune 500 layoffs, you know, to keep the market up, right, to make sure that it didn't crash or fluctuate was $4 trillion in the course of 24 months. Now, whether it was actually 24 months or 12 months, you know, the duration of time, because January 1st, 2008, it didn't happen. It took months to get into, and it it didn't really... Cut off on December 31st, 2009. 08 and 09 were the recession years. They were still printing money into 2010 and 2011, but the total amount from the stats that I have are four trillion dollars during that time period. Fast forward to today, you know, in looking at what we've printed to date, we're just north of three trillion. And it's been two and it's been two and a half months. Here, here's what people don't understand: if you and, and people like to compare what's going on with COVID to 2008, 2009, there there really isn't any comparison. 08, and 09 was based on layoffs, it was based on credit, and it was based on liquidity. I'm not I'm not discounting what happened in 08, and 09 by any by any means. A lot of people, I, I had a lot of clients. A lot of family members a lot of colleagues, including myself, that got impacted pretty heavily from that. Looking at today, you've got two distinct trains that are running parallel. You You have the pandemic side of it, right? So maybe your business is flourishing. Maybe you have enough liquidity that you're not concerned on the financial. But the pandemic is still a concern regardless of your age. You know, maybe you're concerned about your parents or maybe you're concerned about your kids or your significant other or yourself. There's the pandemic side, right? This thing's killing people. You know, the bottom line is I've got five clients that got this ranging anywhere from 28 years old all the way up to 57. Not one person has told me it was a feel-good moment. I've heard some pretty, you know, pretty rough horror stories. One of my clients told me that it got to the point where... You know, his wife was begging him to go to the hospital because he couldn't breathe. And he said to me that if he would have went to the hospital, he was convinced that they would have put him on a respirator and he would have died. So he decided to stay home. And by staying home, he figured I got a 50-50 chance, right? I could either die at home or I'll get better. I have another client who described day four through day seven as surreal. He said basically day four, he couldn't breathe. Day five, it felt like every exhale that he was doing, someone was pulling a belt tighter around his chest. Day six, he was convinced he was going to die. And day seven, he spent all day in a chair crying, you know, thinking that, you know, that it was over. So that's the pandemic side of this from a health crisis standpoint. Now, the other train is you've got an economy that's getting lit up. I mean, you took it took two months roughly to bring the American economy to its knees. You know, you've got mass levels of unemployment, mass levels uh, of just companies that are closing. I mean, the statistic that I was told this week was our unemployment rate hasn't hit this level this fast since the Great Depression. So, I mean, those are two distinct issues. That's why, you know, looking at what the Fed has printed so far and the bailout total so far, I wouldn't be surprised if you're looking anywhere between, a seven to $10 trillion bailout when this is done because it doesn't show signs of stopping. Now, as we get into the fall and the Northeast gets cold again, I mean, this cycle could start all over. And it it doesn't mean that cases aren't going to spike, you know, when it comes to the summertime. And I'm not trying to be pessimistic and talk doom and gloom at all. But, you know, based on the projects that my company has worked on and just our network, you know, these are real concerns that we're bringing, you know, to our clients and you know, and our colleagues, just educating them on the stuff that's going on.
2: Yeah, it all it's it's all very scary, and that's okay. I mean, as long as you're I mean, as prepared as you can be, but I do feel like there's really not much that I can do to you know affect the the finances and the economy at a greater scale. Actually, there's very little I can do. But I, what I kind of do is is take control of my own finances and have a plan with that. Um, so what advice would you give to plan their personal finances at this time? You know, I am fortunate enough to work for a company that they're not doing any layoffs. But like you said, it could happen to the bigger companies eventually. So, um, what, you know, what advice would you give, of, of course, to me and then everyone else in, in similar positions or lost their job or what have you?
0: Well, the, the big advice that I would tell you is to stay liquid. You know, now isn't the time that you want to go out and spend or really even invest. I mean, there are stocks that are out there right now that are great buys. It doesn't mean six months from now that they're going to be higher or lower. I wouldn't be looking at the market. I wouldn't be looking at investments. I would look at staying as liquid as possible because you don't know what the future holds. You know, as as you stated, you know, your company is currently not laying off right now. It doesn't mean six months from now, you're not going to experience a layoff or six weeks from now. I mean, it's hard to say. Companies tend to lay off in fourth quarter, um, but I would stay as liquid as possible. I had a client a couple of weeks ago. He called me and he said, I want to start positioning for inflation. What can I do to a position for inflation right now? Well, there's asset classes that you can buy, like precious metals, for example, to position for inflation. However, to start positioning for inflation, to really benefit from it, you should have been acquiring those assets back in 2013, 2014. The buy-in is much higher today, you know, and so is your, so is the chance of a correction two or three years from now. I mean, you look at gold, for example. I had clients that were buying gold, you know, back in 2014 and 2015, right where it bottomed out between $1,100 to $1,200 an ounce. You know, a lot of money back then for one ounce of gold where, the, you know, the possibility of liquidity or getting a rate of return are kind of slim. You know, you know, fast forward to today, you know, I think gold's at almost $1,800 an ounce. So, you know, obviously the ones that bought back then are in a great position to, to offload and make money. They're forecasting gold at $3,000 an ounce. Now, whether it'll hit that high, who knows? But the the bottom line is from an inflation standpoint, I wouldn't recommend going out and looking at those types of assets. It's something that you should have bought or, you know, researched, you know, eight, nine years ago. As a result, with everything that's going on with the layoffs um, and just the uncertainty with COVID, my biggest advice would be to hold on investments. You know, follow the investments that you like, that you're interested in. You know, I've got clients that love AT&T stock, and if you look at the range of AT&T stock, at its height in December, I think it was almost forty dollars a share, and currently today it's trading under thirty. You know, will it get lower? Potentially, it really just depends on what goes on with this virus.
2: Well, what about um, and what about like the tech stocks? Like, shouldn't you aren't you going to predict that those are going to be good in the future because we're we're needing tech now more than ever because it's a virtual world, essentially?
0: Well, I mean, if you take the Warren Buffett approach on stocks, which is buy long term, if you're anything that you're going to buy today that you're going to go long on is a great investment. I mean, Warren Buffett kind of says it best. You know, if you're not going to hold a stock for 10 years, don't buy it for 10 minutes. Right. So, you know, any sort of those stocks, whether it's the airlines, the technologies, the blue chips, um, any of those that, that even the oil if you're going to go long term and and hold absolutely it's a great investment but you have to base it on you know your personal liquidity you know the stability of your income whether it's a job that you have or a business that you own um what what your you know debt income ratio looks like you know how much if if you are unemployed for 6 months or a year um you know how much can you really truly afford to tie up and invest but, I mean, anything that you look at potentially today, you know, absolutely down the road, you know, is, is going to be a solid investment.
1: So, basically, um, if you are able and you have enough um, liquidity uh, behind you, um, if you're going to invest, these are things that you're going to project in the future that will have a better chance of making you some money. Not not within the next 24 months you're going to make X amount of dollars. Month, because we are still navigating these very treacherous waters. So is that basically how you're viewing
0: this? Yeah, how, how I'm looking at investments today is, or really how anyone should look at investments today, is what is the risk? What is my buy-in limit? And what is the value that I want to spend? You know, you look at any stock that's out there, you know, maybe you're a fan of AT&T stock, right? And maybe you've bought it in the past at $33 and you're still holding it. Obviously, if you're still holding it and you have liquidity and it's under your buy, then it's it's a great buy for you. It's a great investment. Now, does it mean that six months from now, it could be trading back at $33 or it could be at, you know, $22 an even better buy? I mean, everything that's going on with the virus, it's hard to forecast that. I would look at, you know, your age, the liquidity that you have. Is it something that you're going to hold or are you trying to build generational wealth? Is it something that you're going to gift to your children? Is it going to be something that's a small term or an immediate flip before you know, I decide you know what exactly it is I want to invest in? You know, look at your liquidity levels and, and just kind of. You know, decide how much risk you're willing to take. You know, surely there's investments today that are great buys and there'll be even better buys, you know, X months or years down the road as they appreciate. So what
2: about for, you know, not in ter- just in terms of investing, just in terms of living, right? So would you recommend a similar approach where like just stop purchasing unnecessary things right now? Like just what would you say in like terms of personal finance, not just investments?
0: Well, I mean, I guess it's based on your liquidity level. You know, if you have a lot of capital saved up and you want to make an investment, you know, whether it's a TV, a new house, a car or a car. And again, you have that liquidity to do so and you're comfortable enough and you feel that either your business or your job is secure. Yeah, absolutely. By all means do that. With all the stuff that's going on, regardless of your liquidity levels, Unless you're investing, you know, just a very small portion of it, I would just stay as liquid as possible. One of the things that, one of the principles, and I don't know if you've ever heard of it, that I live my life by, is the 10% rule. Have you ever heard of that? Okay. So the way that I look at investments is whatever it is that I want to invest in, or whatever it is that I want to buy, as long as it is less than 10% or less of my total liquidity. I'll go out and do it right so if I'm gonna make an investment into stock and that stock is X as long as whatever that total is is 10% or less than my liquidity I'll go ahead and I'll either purchase that asset make that investment or buy that item and then again it's it's based on how much liquidity that you have and how you foresee your financial future I always tell my clients err on the side of risk always think to yourself how much risk I'm going to take based on you know your current liquidity. I always talk about liquidity cuz it's critical. You know, if your business dries up today, if your accounts receivable don't pay you, if you lose your job today and you have to wait 6 weeks, you know, 4 weeks for a new client, a paycheck, unemployment, whatever it is, you know, that X amount of sum that you have in the bank, your, your cash liquidity is going to be critical. So I wouldn't look at making large investments. I would just try to stay as liquid as possible.
2: Hold on. I'm, um, can you just clarify for me really quickly? And maybe others, can you just define liquidity?
0: liquidity? Liquidity is liquid cash. So if you have, let's say, if you look at all your accounts and you have $100,000 in liquid cash, checking accounts. So let's say that you have four accounts, and those accounts are checking accounts and savings accounts, You know something that you don't have to sell, something that's liquid, cash, cash, and it totals 100,000 in that example, that, that's your liquidity. So based on the 10% rule, let's talk about the 10% rule. Let's say that you're operating with a million dollars in cash. If you wanna go out and make an investment that is $100,000. Whether you want to buy something, whether you're buying a car, buying stock, buying a property, whatever it is, a widget, call it. As long as that widget is $100,000 or less, then you know your liquidity. That 10% rule applies. So if someone's going out today and they want to buy a $10 million home, you know, or a, or a million dollar home, even easier. You know, if they have $10 million in the bank, it follows the 10% rule. That's why you always want to look at your liquidity whether it's 10 million in the bank, a million in the bank, a hundred thousand in the bank, $10,000 in the bank, and and stay within that rule. Investing 10% of your liquidity, even even if the investment tanks, or you have to go long, you know, 24 months, five years to get your money back, you still have enough liquidity to live on. And and the assumption here is that you wanna be as liquid as possible. So that way, if something happens to your income or income streams, you know, you're not selling, you're not doing a fire sale and trying to sell all your assets at at once to cover your operating expenses. I understand.
2: And Marnie, sorry for interrupting you. I just wanted to like make sure I understood what liquidity was if we were just kept talking about it. But Ah, I understand now. Um, Got it.
1: (laughs) Well, if you would take a step back from this um, current crisis that we're in, um, for people just starting out or, or for people who want to go out and buy houses and cars, uh, just in a normal market situation, uh, what would you tell them to have in reserves? Or, or what can they do to to start to have enough money in case of coming into a crisis like this or maybe something not as severe? Well, the
0: the biggest thing, and I think that's the hardest thing that has hit America today, is that this, this wasn't something that anyone planned on. No one foresaw getting in. To this level, um, but really, the consistency that I always tell my clients that we work with is to live very much underneath your means. You know, whatever you're making, whether it's a job or business, you know, live very much underneath your means and try to stay as liquid as possible. If someone is going out and buying a house or a car today and they have a stable business and a, you know, a job that they feel won't experience a, a layoff, as long as that's within their means. You know, in their means is something that's completely subjective, right? I, I have a client, I, I can think of two clients in general, one client in their means or living underneath their means, you know, to them, they interpret it as spending 99% of what they have because they still have a little left leftover. And, and I've got clients that, you know, believe that it's spending... 23 percent of what they have you know everyone's you know finances liquidity levels um and just risk tolerances when it comes to spending and investing or buying something is different but i would i would probably advise people you know if they still have incomes coming in and they still have jobs to to really look at their cash reserves and think to themselves okay if i'm out of work for three months and then it turns to six months and then it turns to nine months do I have enough money to live on? Can I pay my rent? Am I able to put food on the table for my family? You know, what happens if something happens to unemployment or unemployment numbers change or the government stipend, you know, stops? You know, will I still be able to survive?
2: As a country, do you think we're headed towards another Great Depression? That's a, that's
0: a great question. Um, I think a lot of that depends on how long this virus goes, um, what happens and what continue to, continues to happen with the unemployment rate. Uh, Fortune 500 companies, when, when they start laying off, um, and, and really how fast we could rebound from this. Uh, I think from an individual economy standpoint, from a, from a micro perspective, to some households, to some businesses, to some individuals, it already is the Great Depression for them, right? People have closed their businesses permanently. Businesses have not opened up and permanent, permanently laid off. Um, individuals, you know, I, I was reading an article on MSN about three weeks ago. A gentleman that was in, I think he was in Kentucky that worked for Boeing or Lockheed. I mean, they did an interview, CBS did an interview with him, and he basically said, I don't have, you know, he's a diabetic. I don't have enough money to pay for my insulin. And if I have to choose between paying for my insulin or feeding my family, I'm going to choose them, right? Like, so from his perspective, absolutely. You know, I mean, micro, macro, and and then just looking from the whole economy, depending on, uh, you know, your structure. I mean, you could already be in a depression. Countrywide, um, you know, we can't sustain long term with the economies closed. And as they open, I'm hoping that you're not gonna see a spike where they're gonna close again.
2: Okay, so you're you're saying it sort of just depends on the individual. Some people are in the Great Depression, it feels like it, and some people may never be. It just sort of depends on your current or people individually. But as a country, you just can't really predict because it's just everyone's different, you're saying.
0: Yeah, I mean, there, there's financially, I think a lot of people are, you know, from just being able to, you know, just being able to pay their rent and sustain all the way to businesses that are that are still doing exceptionally well. It really just depends. I mean, you know, look at the, the bio businesses that are out there, you know, the money that's being spent on COVID. Um, it really just depends on individuals to companies Um, everyone, you know, is is experiencing experiencing some sort of financial setback, some sort of financial correction. And and depending on where you are um, in that scale, you know, very much absolutely could be the Great Depression for you. I mean, businesses are closing. I mean, we've lost about 14 percent of our client base um, just from, you know, the COVID and some of the investments that they made a couple of years ago. And some of the contracts that they have that have not came up for any sort of renewal. So, yeah, you know, I I think a lot of it depends on the companies and the individuals.
1: So what would be your two or three main points that you want to to give to our listeners on how to try and make it out of this with as minimal damage, I guess would be the best word, um, to their finances? And to their, to their
0: survival, having enough. Sure. Well, the the first advice that I would have is for them to, you know, take care of their health, you know, make sure that you wear your mask, make sure that, you know, you are washing your hands, do whatever you can from a health perspective, not to get this right. You you could get it, not have any symptoms, pass it on to someone um, who could, you know, pass it on to someone else who can kill them from a health perspective. I think that takes more of a priority than a financial. So, you know, number one, obviously make sure that you don't get the virus and kind of, kind of avoid, you know, any sort of uh, risk that would cause you to pick it up from financial. I would recommend holding on any sort of investment or spending um, regardless. I mean, even if you did lose your job and, you know, between unemployment and the government stipend, you're making more money than, that you made if you were working. I, I would look at holding on to that, you know, avoid the spending, focus on your liquidity, um, and then just, just be open, from a job perspective to either new fields or longer commutes or trying to identify, you know, different industries that you could work in. Try to, you know, triage your unemployment. You know, look at what you currently did Maybe look at getting a you know a part time job if you can um, look at other careers I mean anything you can do to to stabilize and bring in some income at some point in time
1: well thank you for that. Um, I really appreciate this open and honest conversation. Um, I know you've definitely opened my eyes um, on how to take better approaches um, with the liquidity and not making those big spending choices and investment choices at this time. Martha, do you have any closing questions?
2: No, I I really appreciate your time and I, I appreciate that you recognize that everyone's sort of different. You were talking about your different clients and you know some's the 99% that they're good and some spend 23% and they they think they're good. So, you know, everybody's different and you, and you recognize that, you know, everyone's a different taking responding to this a um, pandemic differently, but number one is just do your absolute best to maintain it, to stay healthy. So I think that's all really, really good advice. And I hope that our listeners will benefit from it as well. Yeah. Thank thank you for
0: having me. I appreciate the time. And if you have any questions or if your listeners have any questions as well, please feel free to reach out. What's the, what's the best way to contact you? Uh, Best way probably would be an email. And Marnie, I could actually send you that, or you, you, I think you've got my email. You can post, you can actually post that on
1: the,
0: on the site.
1: Okay, I'll definitely do that. And I'd love to uh, revisit a conversation with you a little bit farther down the line, um, just to get your um, reassessment of the situation. But I really appreciate your time and your input today. Thank you for joining us.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me. Take care.
1: Take care. Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye.